Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, The True Christian, with a message titled, New Clothing. So let's turn in our Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 15, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. When I was a young lad, I used to be a very big deal. Late August or early September would roll around and I would be off with my mom to buy new clothes for the coming school year. Now, we didn't have a lot of money as a family, but every summer, myself, my siblings, we went to the raspberry fields to pick raspberries. And from the money that we got, we bought new clothing. In our study of Colossians, we've seen that Paul has been using the analogy of clothing, and we might wonder, I mean, why that illustration? I mean, what is it about taking off old clothing and putting on new clothing that illustrates the new life of the Christian so well? I mean, why not use a different illustration, like moving to a new culture or adopting a new lifestyle or even getting a new job? I mean, surely those might be illustrations that are appropriate to coming to Christ. I mean, why does Paul think that taking off old clothing, putting on new clothing is an apt illustration? Now, Paul never actually uses the word clothing here, but it seems to me that is implied. Look back at Colossians 3, verse 9. In that passage, he said, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self, which is being renewed. Now, clearly, it's not clothing. It's self. The old self is taken off. The new self is put on. But when we get to verse 12, which is our study today, the passage begins, put on then, and then it mentions Christian virtues. That is, take off the virtues of anger and malice and slander, sexual immorality, discard this stuff, and then put on a brand new set of virtues. And yeah, even though Paul doesn't use the word clothing to be sure, yet back in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 4, Paul does use the word clothing there when he speaks about being clothed, in which we lay aside the mortal clothing of this body and put on the immortal clothing of eternal life. And then interestingly, you know, we know that Peter also used the analogy of clothing, and that was found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, where he says, do not let your adorning be external. And then he mentions stuff like hair, the wearing of jewelry, along with clothing. Indeed, he says, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. In other words, let the clothing you wear be your inner attributes. And so since taking off and putting on is the language of clothing, And since the language is used often in the New Testament, what is it about clothing that instructs us? We know that before we fell into sin, Adam and Eve were naked. They were not ashamed. And once, you know, sin came into the world, nakedness produced shame. It exposed vulnerability and imperfection, incompleteness and lack. Clothing was required to cover, to protect and to complete. And in the Old Testament, there are certain kinds of clothing that was significant. Sackcloth was a sign of mourning and grief. In contrast, Psalm 30, verse 11, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing, and you've loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Yeah, the sackcloth was taken off. Clothing appropriate to joy was put on. I mean, after all, who wears a clown outfit to a funeral or a tuxedo to a day of working in a coal mine? You know, at times, the Bible even describes God wearing clothing. Psalm 104 says, The Lord is clothed with splendor and with majesty. In the Old Testament law, the priests of God, they were required to wear specialized clothing when they ministered before the altar. 
Rags are the clothing of the destitute. Purple robes are the clothing for kings. Clothes really are intended to exemplify who the person is and what they've become. And so I think that the image of clothing is appropriate here. I've taken off clothing appropriate to my old lifestyle. I've put on the clothing appropriate to the life I now lead. I dress the part. And when I put on, that really says I belong. It indicates my mindset, uh, what I want to showcase. So let's read our text, Colossians 3, 12 to 15. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Now notice that before Paul tells us what to put on, please notice who it is that is to put on clothing appropriate to who they are. That is, Paul is saying, since this is who you are, then this is what you must wear. Wear clothing that's appropriate to you. And I say that because, as we all know, sometimes people wear clothing that's inappropriate to who they are. I mean, you think of the man who's maybe in his 40s or 50s, and he's suffering from midlife crisis. So he goes out, buys a sports car, then he wears a shirt and unbuttons it halfway down to his navel, and he wears both, you know, gold and silver necklaces. Now, he isn't fooling anyone. He's not young. He's halfway through life. Or the 50-year-old woman in a miniskirt. She's also fooling no one. I mean, that kind of clothing is inappropriate, makes you look silly. That's why sometimes in contemporary language, we speak of the person who's the put-on or that their clothing doesn't display who they are. Rather, the clothing is attempting to obscure who they are. But that's not so with us as believers, says Paul. And notice who he's speaking to. First in verse 12, he's addressing God's chosen ones. The Greek word is the word elect. These are the people God has elected as his own. Ephesians 1 verse 4, Paul says to God's people, you're chosen by the Father before the foundation of the world. And that highlights that it's God who has made you his own and also the overwhelming thankfulness that we owe to God for making us his own. But of course, the word elect or chosen borrows from the language of ancient Israel. Israel is a chosen nation set apart for God for a special purpose. And every Christian today needs to think of himself or herself in those terms. Then the second description is that we're not only chosen, but we are made holy. We're set apart for the Lord and for his work. To be holy is not only separated from the rest of humanity, but it's separated for a special purpose, for moral implications. It means we're separated from sin. And the last section, Paul warns Christians that they're also not to be involved in sexual sins nor relational sins with others. Everything from sexual immorality to anger and slander, that needs to be put off. That's the clothing we used to wear. It's not appropriate now. The third description is the word beloved. That's a wonderful word. It's speaking of our standing before God. We're the people whom God looks at with affection, whom God has planned an eternity of good. And so if that's who we are, dress the part, wear the clothing that's consistent with your identity. If you're a king, would you dress as a pauper? 
If you're a priest, would you dress as a clown? If you're a mother, would you dress as a prostitute? If you're an athlete, would you show up in the uniform for the opposing team? Of course not. So if you're God's elect, holy and beloved, dress the part. And so Paul describes clothing befitting the Christian. And just so we remember, that clothing is in opposition to the clothing we once wore in our pre-converted state. The clothing, of course, is not literal clothing. It's the new identity of the believer. It's the way we behave. It's the way we interact with others. And so in verse 12, we have six descriptions of our inner character. And then in verse 13, we have an assignment as to how to deal with difficult people. In fact, I might say that verse 13 is a test case in how character descriptions work out in real-life situations. Then in verse 14, we're told that there is but one virtue that binds all the other virtues together. Another way of saying, if love's missing, all the other virtues won't work. And then in verse 15, we move from putting on virtues to allowing something to happen. Don't resist this thing. Well, let's start at the beginning. Six virtues that every Christian must put on. The first of the six, put on compassionate hearts. You know, to have compassion is to show mercy or concern for someone else. And Jesus is our best example of compassion. Matthew 14, 14 says that when Jesus saw the great crowd that had come to see him, he had compassion on them because they had come on foot for some distance. He looked at their plight and he was moved to heal their sick. In the next chapter, chapter 15, when Jesus feeds the 4,000, the text says that before Jesus did the miracle with the bread and the fish, he saw the crowd that had come to see him. They were subsistence farmers. Food was often scarce, but they had come to see him and they were intensely hungry and he saw their need and he had compassion on them. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells the parable of the prodigal son, the son who had squandered his inheritance, spent his money on prostitutes and reckless living, and then in desperation, when he's working for a non-kosher pig farmer, a Gentile, and this son is hardly able to feed himself even though he came from a house of plenty. With his tail between his legs, he heads for home. And when his father saw him from a distance, he had compassion on him. He looked at his son who deserved nothing but condemnation and was moved with pity. Put on that clothing, says Paul. November is an exciting time at Back to the Bible Canada. This month, we offer you a booklet of meditations entitled Quiet Spaces for Christmas a 30-day devotional focused on the themes of Christmas. It invites you to spend time daily reflecting on God's Word and hiding the truth in your hearts. We're also offering an alternative gift for the youngsters in your life. It's a wonderful story from the pen of Laugh-Again's own Phil Calloway called Jake and the Christmas Surprise. This funny, thoughtful story is perfect for that bedtime read with the kids. It also provides questions for reflection at the end of each short chapter. Choose one of these great Christmas resources as our gift to you. And if you'd like both or additional copies, they can be purchased at backtothebible.ca. We hope these resources will bless you and your loved ones this coming Christmas season. It's so easy to condemn people for all the dumb and immoral and foolish things they do. Lots of people wear that kind of clothing. 
But the chosen people of God prefer instead to clothe themselves with compassionate hearts, looking to rescue the broken, heal the sick, feed the hungry, and clothe the naked. I don't know what that means for you, but it might mean getting involved in ways that lift up those who are sinking. Wear that clothing, says Paul. Be known for compassion to those who need compassion. The next virtue, the next piece of Christian clothing is the virtue of kindness. To be kind is to do something for the benefit of someone else. Philippians 2 verse 4, it's an excellent example of it. It says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Are you watching people around you? Now look, I do know that by nature, some of us are far more sensitive to the needs of others than the rest of us are. And there was a time in my own life when I thought I should be more sensitive to people's needs, and so I tried to guess their needs, and I always marveled because I got it wrong most of the time. And my wife, Kathy, saw needs that I was oblivious to. Look, when Paul is saying, put on the clothing of kindness, he's not telling us to be more sensitive. However, when we become aware of the needs of others, when it becomes plain that someone is in need, don't you turn away. Remember that you wear the clothing of demonstrating mercy, help, concern, doing what you can to help others bear the burdens that they bear. Be known for kindness, for when there is a need, don't you turn away. The third virtue or the third piece of clothing, humility. And humility, as we all know, is somewhat difficult to define. You know, there's a very well-known joke about the person who wrote a book called Humility and How I Attained It. Yeah, of course, the minute we think we've attained it is the very minute we've lost it. So how do we attain something that we can never admit that we have attained? Because the minute we do, we lose it. Well, I think all of that is based on a faulty view of humility. Go back to an earlier passage in Colossians 2 verse 18. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, watch this, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Do you see the proud mind? That's the person who says, look at me. This is what I understand, or this is the vision I've seen, or this is what I've attained, and you should admire me. See, the opposite of humility is to be self-focused, wanting others to look at you. That means then that a truly humble person is not someone who thinks too highly of himself or herself, nor is it the person who thinks too lowly of himself or herself. You know, there are people who are obsessed with their failures and always think about themselves. The humble person has neither of those feelings. The humble person has stopped thinking of themselves and have started thinking of others. It is this that we call self-forgetfulness. It allows a person to begin to look upon the needs of others. It stops asking, how will this reflect upon me? Rather, it asks, how will it benefit the other? Or even further, how will this bring glory to my Savior Jesus? That's humility. It's the sublime virtue of taking our eyes off ourselves and fixing it on the vision of God who sent his Son to suffer for our salvation. Now, we look at three virtues, you know, three pieces of clothing compassion, kindness, humility. The fourth is meekness. (laughs) If humility is misunderstood, I think meekness is even more misunderstood. I love to tell the story that I was once in a men's room and I came upon a piece of graffiti and it said, we meek will inherit the earth if that's okay with the rest of you guys. (laughs) Well, I laughed at that. You know, it seems that in most people's minds, meekness speaks of someone who's compliant, accommodating, affable, but never insists on anything. But in biblical terms, meekness is something else. You know, often the word meek can be translated as gentle or gentleness. 
It's the person with a calm temper of mind. It's the person that's not easily provoked, doesn't fly off the handle, remains calm, not given to outbursts of anger, to belittling underlings, using emotional energy to keep others off balance. A meek person can be quite assertive, driven by a vision and a goal, has a great deal of energy that wants to achieve, but is not volatile towards others. The fifth virtue is patience. Patience, especially when it's directed towards others, leaves time for them to change. And the final and sixth virtue is bearing with one another, which I will say is an addition to the virtue of patience. To bear with another is to make allowances for them. You know, as we all know, there are a great many times when people simply don't respond or act in the way that we think they should. But if we think about it, God has been patient with us. He extended grace towards us. He made allowances for us so that we might come to repentance. Well, now, as I've said, Paul moves from those virtues as they relate to others to a test case, and we find that in verse 13. Someone has a complaint against someone else. Jesus spoke about that in Matthew 18 when he said that if someone sins against you, you should first confront that person just between the two of you. Of course, that process might break down, and then Jesus talks about the next stage, and hopefully that eventually leads to resolution. But here in Colossians, the assumption is made that the person who has a complaint against the other has a legitimate complaint against the other. That is, the complainer is correct, and the other is offside and in error, or even doing something that's an affront. Now, what Colossians says about forgiveness is not the only thing that can be said. Again, referring to Jesus in Matthew 18, depending on the behavior, it might lead to church discipline. It might also be that the wrongdoer crosses his or her arms across the chest and says, I'm not apologizing. I'm not changing. All of that's not going to happen. And I've often made the point there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Reconciliation is possible when the offender is repentant and wants reconciliation. As we all know, there are a great many cases where the offender doesn't want that. In that case, reconciliation might not be possible. But, and this is key, if we are to be compassionate, kind, humble, meek, patient, bearing with one another, we're going to forgive. We're always going to forgive. And then if forgiveness doesn't necessarily equal reconciliation, well, what then is it? Well, to forgive is to no longer hold that offense that is done against the other. It's to release that person, to let them go. To forgive also is to allow the one who was hurt to hold open the chance that if there's a change of heart in the offender, the one who has forgiven will always be the first to go to the offender and make room for reconciliation. See, the one who forgives is the one who lays aside any thought of revenge. It's the one who prays earnestly for the offender, who seeks the offender's best, even the best of his enemy. To forgive doesn't make us a doormat. We can seek righteousness, even justice, even while our hearts overflow with forgiveness. This is possible, and that's how humility and meekness actually work. And all of that, says Paul, There's one virtue that binds every one of them together, and that's the virtue of love. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul calls this the greatest of all virtues. Love is why Jesus came into the world. God so loved the world that he gave his son. Love for others inspires us to forget ourselves and to think of the welfare of others. But if we lack love, those attitudes won't happen. 
Love allowed the father of the prodigal to be moved with compassion when he saw his son from a distance. It allowed him to get beyond the fact that young man had squandered his inheritance. But love inspired reconciliation. Love for the lost inspires evangelism and mission. Love for others is the fuel that inspires sacrifice and suffering so that someone else can live. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says that love is patient and kind. It seeks not its own. That's love. Jesus said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples, by how you love one another. There is no virtue that has greater emphasis than the love that Christians have for each other. And once love lives, Paul says, then be at peace. Now let, he says, don't resist it, but let the peace of Christ govern, rule, oversee your heart, the center of your affections. Look again at verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. And the reason Paul adds that we are called to one body is because he knows how important this is for the church. The thankfulness in context is thankfulness for what we have in each other. Well now, I began speaking about clothing and how in the fall as a boy I was excited. I got new clothing. It meant I'd grown and things were all new. You know, for a Christian, our new clothing showcases both who we are and how we are to be seen. It demonstrates that we truly belong to Christ and value Christ. It highlights what we think is important and what we think is of little value. And when someone who's not a Christian should ask, what's it like to be a Christian? The correct answer is, have a look at the clothing I wear. In fact, the clothing I wear is the very things that I value highly for they've been given to me by Christ. John, let me ask you this. How would you differentiate between Christian virtues and works theology? Yeah, let's, I'll start with works theology. Works theology says that by doing certain things, I am earning my salvation, or to put it another way, I'm earning my way into God's favor. God looks at me and says, ah, yes, because you're acting this way, more blessing will come. Uh, on the other hand, the virtues, they actually flow from our salvation. I do nothing to earn my salvation. I've never done anything to merit grace. Grace has come freely from God's hand and apart from anything that I have done. Therefore, because Christ has done all things for me, he, as my master now, demands that I live in a certain way and I can do nothing else but be obedient to my Lord's commands. And so, the virtues now, I look to Christ and his Holy Spirit to produce in me, and I labor so that it would become truly a part of me. That's not works theology, that's thankfulness and obedience. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again next week as we continue our series, The True Christian, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible Teaching you can trust. It's never too early to start planning your travels for the new year. And our April 2024 Caribbean ministry cruise may just be the right mix between relaxing and spending time refreshing your walk with Jesus. You won't want to miss this incredible opportunity to vacation and be under the direct teaching of Back to the Bible Canada's Dr. John Newfeld, laugh with Laugh Against Phil Calloway, and share moments of musical inspiration with special guest Amanda Stott. With breathtaking scenery, laughter, fellowship, and spiritual encouragement, it's guaranteed to be an unforgettable vacation experience. 
Now it's filling up faster than we'd imagined, so touch base soon for more information or to sign up. Just visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425. And please note that with all ministry travel events, no ministry funds are used and all related costs are covered by those who participate.